This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Welcome to Discovery. This week, we host three new podcasts created by students in the radio broadcasting program at Durham College. We start with Bailey Higgins, who questions the practicality of making the countrywide switch to electric vehicles in Canada. Vanessa Fermo follows by analyzing the good, the bad, and the ugly of social media. Last but certainly not least, Anita Hassan, with her show Intentionally Spiraling, talks about the concept of change. So sit back and enjoy as we hear Bailey Higgins' take on electric vehicles. Hello, 105.9. My name is Bailey Higgins, and today I want to talk about Canada's future with electric cars. So Canada wants to be producing only electric cars by 2035 to help save the environment. And to be frank, I'm not sure how that's going to work. Let me be clear and say that I'm not here to diss the new electric vehicles. Anything that comes with all-wheel drive and goes 0 to 100 in under 2 seconds is like kind of my jam. But I do have some concerns. First, let's start off with some good news from the Canadian company Electra Battery Materials. Electra says they have created a new method for recycling old lithium-ion batteries using hydrometallurgy. According to their claims, this new process would reuse about 95% of the important materials inside these batteries. This is fantastic news, not just for car batteries, but for lithium-ion batteries in general. That includes cell phones, laptops, tablets, basically anything with a battery these days can benefit from this breakthrough. However, it doesn't solve some of the core issues with electric vehicles. For instance, even if we recycle all the material from these batteries, we still have to get those minerals from somewhere. Lithium is mostly mined from a place called the Lithium Triangle, way down in South America. In order to mine it, they essentially pump a brine out of the ground, allow the moisture to evaporate, and then process the remaining minerals to get to the lithium. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? Well, except for the massive air pollution, the soil degradation, oh, don't forget the water shortages. Well, you kind of get the point. It's not exactly a clean process. But let's say this is a non-factor, for argument's sake. How do you get those materials into the batteries now? We are literally at the top of the Americas, so we now have to transport all of those minerals across two of the largest continents on Earth to save the environment. Seems a little counterproductive when you would think a cleaner solution would be to look for something local. In fact, why not go local? Ottawa just opened up a lithium mine about a month ago. Shouldn't that help? Well, it will a bit. Canada has about 2.5% of the world's lithium. So, it won't hurt. But, here's the kicker. There are estimations that around 75% of the world's lithium is in the Lithium Triangle in South America. So thinking Canada can compete against that is like saying I'm just as capable of beating Google at answering questions. Hey Google, what's the average flight speed of an African swallow? Google pops up like 300,000 plus results in three seconds and my answer is, well, it's got to be like at least five, right? The point is, we simply can't compete with the demand that is necessary. Canada is a car-centric nation, and if we don't have enough materials to support the production of these cars, you can bet they're going to start outsourcing ASAP. The worst part about this is, lithium isn't even the most controversial metal they stick in these batteries. Cobalt is another major component, and most of that mineral is located in a little country called the Democratic Republic of Congo. 
Now, the Congo has a bit of a reputation for having what some might call loose safety standards. Little to no protection is provided to protect any of the workers at these mines from the toxic effects of the cobalt. Did I also mention that many of these workers are also children? And some are even mothers who have to carry their babies on their back while they work. Now, there have been plenty of claims by large companies that their cobalt is mined with integrity and love and affection. But a man named Siddharth Kara says these claims are straight baloney, and not the tasty pan-fried baloney, I'm talking five months in a school locker kind of baloney. Siddharth went out to the Congo himself to explore the truth of these mining corporations and how North American needs may be affecting the people there. What he found was exactly as I described before, but worse and far more prominent than companies like Tesla are going to tell you. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad or anything, but the phone you have in your pocket, the Apple smartwatch on your wrist, or the new electric Audi you just bought, probably wouldn't exist without child labor in some shape or form. Now, you will get no judgment from me. I'm literally talking to you through a MacBook right now. But I do think it is important to bring issues like this forward when talking about big future changes like the 2035 deadline for electric cars. I also don't want you to think oil is any better either. It pollutes during and before use, still needs to be transported, and I think we can all agree oil companies aren't exactly known for their humanitarianism. So what is the solution for ecological travel that can be easily acquired, doesn't hurt the environment in processing, and doesn't violate half the human rights laws? Well, I don't have a 100% answer. Like, come on, I'm just a dumb college kid here. There's a reason I'm still in school, folks. But in all seriousness... If I were to suggest an alternative, it would probably be hydrogen. It's more widely available and it's one of the most abundant materials on Earth, making it viable for countries across the world and not just Canada. This would cut down transportation, cost, which would decrease pollution and the cost to the end user. Less cost means more people can afford it, which means more people are driving green cars and therefore less pollution. You can also save costs and materials by converting old gas vehicles to hydrogen, which, yes, is possible for electric cars, but not very easily done or worth the effort. Of course, you have the argument that processing the hydrogen and creating the infrastructure to support it is too expensive right now. And, well, yeah, you're right. It ain't cheap right now, but neither is electric. And the infrastructure problems still stands for electric as well. With hydrogen, you just need fill stations, which can essentially replace a gas station as they are. Change the tank, change the pump, job done. Electric cars, they're a little different though, and I'm not talking about the charge time. First, you need to create the charge station, and then you need to supply it with electricity. The electricity comes from the power grid, which supports everything else that we rely on in our future society. What happens when every Canadian starts plugging in their new Tesla at around the same time after work? My guess is power failures across multiple grids. Now, I hope that's not the case, and I would like to believe that we would upgrade our power grid before it got to this point, but I don't know if I'd place any money on that. In all honesty, I don't really have a problem with electric cars. I think they are phenomenal feats of engineering, and I feel incredibly blessed to live in a time where we even have the option to choose what we drive. But I think this is a temporary solution to a permanent problem. 
we are always going to have to be careful about how we treat the earth and the people on it. That's never going to change. But is electric really good enough to make the difference? If we keep producing EVs at the same rate we currently make gas cars, we will inevitably walk ourselves around in a circle. The lithium and the cobalt, it's a limited resource, just like oil, and it produces pollution in its own way, just like oil. Hydrogen, we can literally extract from water if we want to. And I don't know if you've looked at a map recently, but we've got like a lot of water, man. In Canada, we border three major oceans and have the fourth largest concentration of fresh water in the world. Now, that being said, don't freak out. I'm not saying we start fueling our cars with our drinking water, but I wonder why we would stop investing money into hydrogen due to cost when in the long term, it looks like a far cheaper option. Right now, like any green solution, hydrogen is expensive and not fully efficient. But if we take the time to invest in research, I truly believe its capabilities will surpass that of the electric car. And besides, why should we put all of our eggs in just one basket? Don't take my word for it though. Go out and look into EVs and hydrogen yourself. There are more options out there and the more we explore them, the more we can push towards a truly green society. If you agree, disagree, maybe you just want to run me over with your Model S for bad-mouthing Tesla, whatever you want, feel free to drop a line at any of 105.9's social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all I have for you today on my mini-podcast. My name is Bailey Higgins, sending you back to 105.9 The Region. Now for the good, the bad, and the ugly on social media. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Fermo and welcome to Social Media, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Social media has had its great moments and its not so great moments these past couple of years. There's been so many things happening on social media, like influencers being cancelled, tons and tons of drama, bullying, and even some exciting moments. Let's start with the good parts of social media, which is making friends and connections. Social media is a great place to meet friends, potential partners, and even getting some work connections. I've met all my online friends from social media, even some being from all around the world. My parents have told me growing up to never talk to strangers on social media. Whoops, I did. Even some of those strangers are my best friends to this day. Another good part of social media is the influencers. I know they can get into a ton of drama, but all these influencers inspire and entertain their fans on a daily basis. Even some of those influencers have meet and greets and go to events where they can meet their fans from all around the world. There are some very positive influencers on social media, like Spencer Barbosa. Spencer posts a lot about body positivity and helps her supporters be positive and comfortable with their bodies. Dylan Mulvaney is a transgender woman who teaches 10 million people all around the world of her life transitioning into a woman. Dylan documents her life every day for over the past year of being a woman and updates her followers every day with what has changed in her transition. But all this good stuff leads to negativity at some points, mainly bullying. Anyone can get bullied on social media. Influencers get hated on and bullied every day. I've seen so many hate comments, hate videos, and hate accounts on so many influencers, and it's not okay. I hate going on Instagram or TikTok and seeing a really happy or funny video, and most of the comments are people hating on these influencers. Influencers have to go through so much hate and negativity on a daily basis. 
but still create content for those fans who love them. These influencers have learned over the years to not care about what the haters say, because honestly, they're just jealous and that is 100% true. Now to my worst favorite part of social media, the ugly. This includes cancellations and stalkers. You're probably wondering, what is a cancellation? A cancellation is when an influencer or celebrity is getting tons and tons of hate for being racist, homophobic, or just being straight up rude to a group of people. Fans and supporters of social media all around the world are hearing these cancellations because they have gone completely viral. Let me give you an example of an influencer or celebrity being canceled. There was an event in 2018 called TanaCon, hosted by influencer Tana Mojo. Fans paid hundreds and even thousands of dollars to be there, but the event quickly got canceled. The event organizers realized the event was severely overbooked. Mojo's fans were left outside in the burning California sun for hours, getting very burned, only to hear that the event got canceled. Mojo received a ton of backlash from this event, and fans are so unhappy with her to this day. Another very bad and insanely creepy part of social media is the stalkers. Ugh, this part just scares me. Stalkers are basically either super fans or haters of the influencers. They find out a lot of personal information of the influencers, including their phone number, extended family, address, and so much more. It's just scary to hear all these stalker stories. Influencers and celebrities have fans going up to their door every single day because fans have exposed or leaked their addresses to their friends who have exposed it to more friends and more friends and somehow the whole world knows. I would absolutely hate being an influencer and seeing that my phone number, address, or anything personal to me was leaked online. These people need to learn personal boundaries. But now time for my favorite part of the show. It's time to interview an influencer. Today I'll be speaking to Tyler Carpenter. Tyler has 2.7 million followers on TikTok and has honestly made the funniest content I've ever seen. I'll be asking Tyler about the good, the bad, the ugly on social media from an influencer's perspective. What are the positive and negative aspects of social media as an influencer? Okay, so from my POV as an influencer, I feel for one, the positive aspects is that I'm able to really express my creativity. It's a great out lit for me to put my you know creativity and my ideas into work and to have people enjoy it i think that's basically one of the biggest positives and maybe one of the negatives are burnout and um the the anxious feeling of everyone like watching you and everyone can have an opinion about you like because even though you enjoy what you do so much the opinions and you know, getting tired of what you really love doing can really, you know, unmotivate you. So yeah, those, those two definitely, 100%. So what are the daily challenges that influencers have on social media? Are they easy to overcome or do they put a negative aspect effect on you? A challenge I face every day? I think for me, since I post literally every day, I feel like a challenge is just making sure I post every day because I like to, you know, hang out with my friends Usually I'm busy or I'm doing something at the time. So I'm kind of like rushing and rambling. But I feel like it is easy for me. At least it is easy for me to overcome because there's a lot of ways that I could pre-film my videos and pre-record and edit everything and have it just in my drives ready to post it. So I think I think it will be easy to overcome. But I do understand that there are different things that influencers go through 
regarding it's like bullying or burnout, like I said before, those things may be a little bit more difficult to overcome. But for my perspective, it's just really just a consistency. So do you have any advice for someone who wants to be an influencer and things they can look out for? Advice for anyone want to be an influencer, I say to make sure you you write down what do you want to basically influence and why you want to do it because you could influence anything. You know what I mean? You can influence people to buy things. You can influence, you can inflict an emotion or your audience. And I feel like that's very easy to do, but to be consistent with it and to, I guess, say your goal is to grow following from it and impact other people. I think that that motivation, that should be your motivation for you to keep going. But of course, if you're doing it for like maybe just like a short term thing or maybe just like a financial thing, there may be a lot of different obstacles that may impact you from getting to that point. But one, figure out why you want to do it um why you want to do it and really figure out just just a schedule and make sure you're staying consistent with it what do you think has been your greatest accomplishment your biggest accomplishment of being an influencer i would say overall it's just the fact that i'm able to influence you know what i mean because i I I really like expressing myself in different ways. I like embracing the different attributes and traits that I have into comedic effect. And I feel me being able to do that really uplifts other people and makes them happy. And when I make other people happy, I'm happy. When I make other people smile, laugh, it, it brings me joy. So that's really the biggest um, positive from all of this. Like the like money or just... The following, like, I really do not care about that. I just really care making sure that my followers are happy from my cre- creativity. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you learned a few new things about social media. Goodbye. You're listening to podcasts by students at Durham College. Here is Intentionally Spiraling. Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of Intentionally Spiraling. I'm your host, Anita Hassan, and today, we're going to take a deep dive into the concept of change. As the Greek philosopher Heraclitus said, change is the only constant in life. And there's been a lot of change currently happening in mine. And I'm someone who loves comfort. So although I know everything that's happening is good, I still can't help but feel like I have no control over my life. So of course, instead of feeling my emotions like a normal person, I've decided to hyper-focus on analyzing them. Call it self-awareness, call it obsession, whatever, tomato, tomato. Not the point. I digress. I'm addicted to one thing, and one thing only. Growth. And of the short but profound 25 years I've spent on this beautiful planet Earth, I've grown to understand one thing for sure. Change will always be uncomfortable but you have to be willing to be uncomfortable to expand and grow i'm getting married in october to the love of my life but he's in bangladesh and i'm rerouting my entire life to go start a new one with him in a country that i loved visiting but never lived in all the way across the world from all of my family and friends. 
all for love. The romantic in me is on cloud nine, but the realist in me is also terrified. Ultimately, I took the risk of following my heart because I would rather be uncomfortable and strive for what my heart is telling me than spend the rest of my life stagnant in the safety net of average predictability. The people in my life are so worried about me. They're worried about how I'll adjust, how I'll handle the culture shock, along with the new responsibilities of marriage. But everything to ever happen to anybody had to have a starting point. I'm not gonna fear mine. I know my path ahead will have challenges and hurdles. I know I'm not gonna be the same Anita I've been. But isn't that the entire point of existence? To change and to grow and to evolve? I've always dreamed of going back to my homeland and living there for a little while. Get in touch with the land of my mother's mother and her mother before her. Going back countless generations. I hope I do change because without change I would never grow. I hope getting married does change me because I've never had to think of anyone beside myself and now I'm part of a pair and we're building a life together, which is so beautiful. All I've ever wanted to do was share the love I have in my heart with my loved ones, with my content, with everything and everyone I ever meet. So why keep myself in a geographical box when I can share my love worldwide? I'm diving headfirst into the unknown. And I'll see you guys on the other side where I'll be wiser and a better version of myself. Well, that's just me and my own opinion on change, but I wanted to get a professional opinion. I was reading an article published by George Barnes, a pronounced psychologist, published August 2021. And he writes, change is essential as it leads to retaining that important edge over competitors. Change is an exciting process that encourages innovation develop skill and leads to better business opportunities. So he goes on to basically talk about how being able to change and adapt is a evolutionary uh, development in humans and how uh, survival of the fittest has a lot to do with how quickly we're able to change. He also then highlights something that I found very interesting. He talks about how humans enjoy controllable change and I can really attest to this myself. I love changing my hair, changing my look, a change in scenery, traveling. He says that we tend to enjoy change that we can consciously control, buying new clothes, like I said, or a home renovation, for example. However, change that is forced upon us is likely to leave a sour taste between those imposing change and those the change is affecting. And I think that is so accurate because 
think about an employer changing the structure of a corporate organization and having to either take away responsibilities or add responsibilities, the employees don't often take it well. So when change is mandated upon us, we often don't like it. So I found that very interesting. Goes on to talk about facilitating change. He writes, it is important to begin with the psychological principles to facilitate change. To affect change inside an organization, we must remember why people resist change. People do not fear change. Instead, people like comfort. The status quo is more comfortable than the unknown. Change is experiential. We often talk about it being constructive, but often at times it is cognitive, physical, psychological, and or emotional. It is vital to be skilled at communicating in an influential way, to understand how others think, how to connect with them, and how to persuade them. So leaders role modeling these behaviors are key. I'll simplify it for you guys. He's basically saying how in order to be a good leader and facilitate change, you have to be able to understand how people will respond to the change, aka you have to have a high emotional intelligence. So think of politicians facilitating change and encouraging their population that the change will benefit them. People then are receptive to the change because they feel that the change is happening for them and not to them. That's basically what he was trying to outline here. He writes, One of the larger issues that leaders face concerns the one-size-fits-all approach. This fails to consider individual differences and how everybody reacts to change differently. An example of this is the change from office working to home working. As the path of recovery begins post-pandemic, a hybrid model of working should be introduced to focus on individual needs and how many times they would like to come into the office will differ from person to person. This also hits home for me because I've seen it firsthand with my father. He has been required to go back into the office once or twice a week. And because of this shift, he no longer has a permanent custom physical office. It's more cubicle style and you have to rent the space prior to going into the office, whichever day that you want. And in one way, he's glad that he gets to work from home. But on the other hand, he feels that over 30 years in this company, he's dedicated and they've just taken away his custom office space. He's struggling with that. And I think it just very accurately reflects Mr. George Barnes' analyzing of change. Well, that's all for today's deep dive. Let me know on my social media what you want me to hyperfocus on next at anitahassan.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed. If you're in a frightful panic about missing any of this podcast, frantically punch into our website, 1059theregion.com, to catch yourself up or find any of our other episodes you may have missed. Till next week, I'm Cal Steiger. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 1059 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.